Well, if you brought a Bible this morning, I want you to take it and turn to the Gospel of Luke, the 19th chapter, as we continue with our snapshots of Jesus as we're moving toward the cross. You know, the last six months of Jesus' ministry were incredibly busy days for our Lord. He was dealing with people. He was moving from place to place. Luke majors on this period of time from 951 through 1814. uh, The events that occur are in this last six months of the earthly ministry of Jesus. And, And Luke actually records more detail about this particular period of time than do Matthew or Mark. They're more focused on what happened just prior to this during the Galilean ministry. But one of my favorite portions of Luke's account is the record of what transpired on his journey toward Jerusalem when he passed through Jericho. Now I know that there are some people who read Luke's gospel and say, well, you know, there are times when it seems to be repetitious. There are some words that he said here and he said them here, so maybe, maybe this is not quite accurate. No, I, listen, folks, Jesus was dealing with people. Everywhere he went, he dealt with people. And can I tell you something about people? As different as we all are, we're all alike. We have similar problems, similar troubles. They may take different shapes or forms, but they're really not that different. And so when you're dealing with people, sometimes you say something, you say, boy, that, that, that's it. You repeat yourself. We all do. That doesn't invalidate the words. It doesn't make them any less meaningful. It simply means that they apply in more than one situation. And I believe that's true in the Gospel of Luke. To me, it's inconceivable that Jesus would have spoken as often as he did to as many as he did in as many places as he did and never would have said some things that were similar or repetitive. But what we're going to look at this morning is unique. It's all by itself. And I'm going to venture a guess and say that probably all of you have read this passage. More than likely, all of you have heard this passage preached or you've studied it in a class. And if you're sitting there saying, I'm not sure, okay, maybe you sang about it in Sunday school as a child. Because it's the story of Zacchaeus. Now, I had somebody tell me one time, said, Preacher, you know, you got an easy job. You only work a day and a half a week. I'm not going to debate that issue. But you know, one of the fun challenges about preaching every week is that I know every Sunday when I sit down, when I stand up here, that there are going to be people like Brother George, who's 90 years old and retired pastor, And they're going to be children. And there's going to be everything in between. And there are going to be people who are believers in this room. And there are going to be people who are not believers. And part of my calling is to share the word of God. But to try to share it in such a way that there is something in it for everybody who's in the room. And I am so thankful that I can't do that. But the God that I serve can And so what we're going to do is just say, God, speak to us. If you've got your Bible open to Luke chapter 19, the best way for God to speak to us is just simply look to his word. 
I want us to read together the first 10 verses of this chapter. They're familiar verses. You'll recognize them. But if you can and will, once you've got your Bible open, if you'd stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word, let's just read this. Follow along with me. Luke tells us about the journey Jesus is on, and now he arrives in Jericho. Luke says he entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable to because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down. For today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. And when they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back Four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house because he too is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you this morning for your word. Lord, I'm inadequate to the task. And I ask you, Holy Spirit, speak. Move across this room and speak to each heart based upon who they are, where they are, their situation, and their need. Father, I pray that today you would strengthen your bride. I pray that you would call the lost. I pray that you would invite back those who have wandered away. Father, above everything else, I pray that your perfect will be done in every heart, in every life, in this place, in these moments. Speak to our hearts, Father, and teach us your truth. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Jesus touched so many lives throughout the course of his ministry. But it seems as if that, 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 that measure of touching and changing increases so much as he's going through these last six months of his ministry. And perhaps the most significant part of his journey to Jerusalem and to the cross was his passing through Jericho. Luke tells us of Jesus meeting a blind man there who cried out for mercy. Jesus restored his sight. And immediately after that, We meet this man, Zacchaeus. It's a life-changing story. It's about a man whose very existence was turned inside out when he met Jesus. You know, we talk about this story as if this is something highly unusual, really difficult to deal with. I just want you to understand something. This is how it ought to be every time anybody meets Jesus. When you met Jesus, it should have transformed your life. 
When someone meets Jesus, it ought to turn things inside out. It ought to turn things upside down. It ought to make you a new creation, living a new life and doing things in a new way. That's what the Word of God teaches. But I want us to look at this man Zacchaeus because, as I've said, I I know that this was 2,000 years ago, but as much as people change and as much as they're different from one another, we're really all the same. And this is a simple story. And you're familiar with it, most of you. And so I'm not going to bleed the details or try to teach you something new that you've never seen before or or draw out something and say, aha, this is my aha moment. This needs to be your aha moment. I just want to get down to what it's about. And if you walk out and you say, well, that sermon was too simple. Praise the Lord. One of the amazing things about Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ is that it's so simple, anybody can get it. So let's get it, shall we? Let me just start off by pointing out the obvious. What this story is really about is a man, I don't know what just happened. Where did we go? Wow, I've never had that happen before. Am I there? I'm not there. Hey, Mike, have you got this thing? Can you control it? That means you got to listen to the sermon. I know you do every week. Let's start. Here we go. Zacchaeus was a man who was up a tree with very little hope. Now, a lot of us wouldn't say up a tree. We would say up a creek without a paddle. He had a tree. And he was up a tree. And he had so very little. Can I just tell you something about Zacchaeus that that Luke points out for us? He was a man with a fat wallet. All right? I mean, he makes a point. I love the way that this is in here. When you get to verse 2 and look at the very end of it, it's kind of like a footnote. Oh, and he was rich. The man had a fat wallet. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. Now, listen, they were considered by the Jews to be the greediest of the greedy. The Romans had a system of farming out tax collecting privileges. What they did was they'd select a Jew. They would select a person from the region. They did it outside of of Israel as well. They would take someone who lived in a community or in a region, and they would make them the collector for their home district. And they had to collect at least the minimum amount that Rome demanded. Anything they collected over that and above that, ah, that went in their own pockets. And so it was a system that was just designed and built and invited greed and corruption and theft. And so people looked at the tax collectors and said, you know, we don't like them very much. They were some of the most hated and despised people in their communities because they overtaxed their fellow citizens. That's how they made their profits. Zacchaeus was just one of those guys. He was undoubtedly one of the most despised men in the city of Jericho. People didn't like him. He was ripping them off. That was how they all felt about it. You know what that also means, though, on the other side of it? He was probably a very lonely man. When nobody likes you, when everybody hates you, When no one's got anything good to say about you, no one ever pays their tax. How many of y'all put in a note when you send your taxes in and says, to whomever receives this, good job? (laughs) Y'all do that? I don't think so. 
I doubt very seriously that people walked past Zacchaeus' desk, dropped their taxes, and patted him on the back and said, good job, man, hang in there, you're doing great. I don't think he heard that at all. He was probably a very lonely and rejected man with a full wallet, but with an empty heart. Probably a guy who wanted a better life. Even more than likely, that's how he started out in this whole business. You know that? He wanted a better life. How many people grow up thinking, I hope I do worse than my parents? Y'all think that? No. You're growing up thinking, man, I want to do better than what my folks have done. They've got this. I want that. They got to this place. I want to get to this place. People look at them and see this. I want people to look at me and see this. Everyone wants to go a little higher, a little farther. Here's Zacchaeus. He's wanting to improve his life. What what would anybody think? How do you improve your life? Get more. Have more. Gather, gain, hold, keep. It doesn't matter whether it's dollars, whether it's houses, whether it's possessions. Just get more, have more than everybody. People are going to look and they're going to envy me because I got so much. Somewhere along the way. Zacchaeus learned what a lot of you have learned and what many of you still have yet to learn. Stuff is not going to satisfy. Stuff is not going to make you happy. You can gather all the stuff. You can get everything. You can keep everything. You can beg. You can steal. You can borrow. You can keep it all for yourself. But the reality is it's not going to fulfill you. It's not going to satisfy you. It's not going to make you happy. And you're going to find out there's this big hole in your life, this big hole in your heart. There's something more. What in the world is it? How in the world do I get it? And then Zacchaeus started hearing about this guy, Jesus. And people who met him, their lives were being changed. He he probably heard the stories. There was this woman, a woman who who had an issue of blood. She'd come to Jesus, just touched his garment. Didn't, Didn't even have to have a conversation with him, just touched his garment. And she was healed. And all these stories about people, blind people, lepers, People who were possessed, they met Jesus. And when they went away, when he passed on out of the town, they were changed. And it wasn't like it was a temporary, like a magic trick kind of thing where he did this and then when he left town, it came back on him. No, it was real. They were healed. And Zacchaeus finds himself wondering, I wonder wonder if that could happen to me. If I were to meet this guy, I I wonder what he could do. With this empty heart that I've got, this feeling I have. And then lo and behold, word came. Jesus was coming to Jericho. And he was going to pass through town. And Zacchaeus heard about it. And, and apparently it was a big civil event, a civic event, because, I mean, they planned a parade route and everything. He, he knew exactly where he was going. And so he gets ahead of the parade. He climbs up a tree. I mean, we love this. This is what we sing about when we're children. He climbs up in the tree, and sure enough, here comes Jesus. Now, you say, well, why in the world would he climb up a tree? Luke tells us exactly why. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but he was unable to because of the crowd, because he was small in stature. 
he wasn't a big guy. He was a little guy. That's why we sing that he was a wee little man. He wasn't big. He got, listen, I get it. He stood in the back of the crowd and he couldn't see over people. And so he runs ahead and he climbs a tree. Listen, I was always told that desperate times call for desperate measures. Well, that tree was his desperate measure. And he goes up the tree and, and he's, he's waiting. And sure enough, Jesus comes along. And let me tell you something. He may have been up a tree without any hope. But then Jesus spoke. Everything changed. He said, what do you mean? Oh, this is easy. This is, the, this is the heart of it. This is one verse. You got your Bible. Look at it. Verse 5. When Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. For today I must stay at your house. What do the words of Jesus reveal? That's the question. What do the words of Jesus reveal? First, I'm going to tell you two things. First, he knows my name. He knows my name. And he knows yours. He knew the name of Zacchaeus, but don't think you're hidden if you're sitting back there behind somebody and, well, the preacher can't see me. It doesn't matter if I see you. He can see you, and he knows your name. Zacchaeus, for all of his problems, can you imagine the surprise on his face? There he is up in the tree. Most of the people didn't even realize he was up there. I mean, he climbed up the tree on his own behind all of them. They're standing watching Jesus walk by. And all of a sudden, Jesus stops, looks up into the tree, and calls that hated name in the city of Jericho. Zacchaeus. Some people in that crowd probably heard him say that and thought, oh boy, he's going to get it now. Jesus is going to get him for the way he treats us, for, for cheating people and for lying and for, for stealing. Jesus is gonna, He's going to get what he, I can't wait to see this. But remember what I asked you? What do Jesus' words reveal? Yes, he knows my name. But secondly, he has a plan for me. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what people think you are. What counts is what Jesus knows you are. You see, Zacchaeus didn't see himself being real important. And the people of the city, well, you get their response just a little bit after that. He's going, he's going to be with a sinner. I am so thankful Jesus goes to be with sinners. If he didn't, I'd be hopeless. And by the way, all of you who are my brothers and sisters in Christ, you'd be hopeless if Jesus didn't come to be with sinners. 
No matter who we are, no matter what we've done, no matter where we've gone, no matter what we've been involved in, the things that we try to hide that we don't want anybody to know about or anybody to see, it doesn't matter. He's already seen it all. He knows you. He knows you by name. He knows every detail of your life, every moment, every second, every sin, every mistake, every word, every thought. He knows it all. And He still has a plan for you. How shocking were those next words that he speaks to Zacchaeus. Hurry up and come down. i got to go to your house. You've you got to be my host today. Now, I just kind of freeze up and freak out at this point in the story because of the mental picture I get. And please forgive me. I'm a man of short legs. And I grew up in a land of five-strand barbed wire fences. Short guys trying to get over or out of things in a hurry. I know a lot of y'all think that's comical. If you think it's comical, obviously you've never gotten caught on wire number five. It's not comical. If you think that's comical, obviously you've never been hanging from the lowest branch and trying to figure out where the ground is because it is not touching your toes. Zacchaeus is trying to get down out of the tree. He's trying to get where Jesus told him to go. He's trying to position himself to do what Jesus is calling him to do, but he's not sure that he's quite up to the task. It's kind of frightening sometimes because Jesus will ask you to go to places you don't think you can get to. He'll ask you to do things you're not sure you're capable of. And I think that may have been, can I tell you something? I don't think people from the town were hurrying to help Zacchaeus down out of the tree. Probably some of them were sitting there with all the love they could muster saying, oh, I hope he busts his head open when he falls. Let's watch. Maybe he'll break a leg or an arm. Serve him right. See, some of them were probably already jealous Because Jesus had called him, but he hadn't identified them. And they were better people than than Zacchaeus was. Hadn't called them by name. He wasn't going to their house. So there was already this jealousy thing going on. There were probably some that were almost angry with it all. We're not told for sure that they even shared a meal, but you kind of get the mental image that Zacchaeus gets down, they go to his house, they share a meal. We don't know. But you know, there's one question that has always stuck in my mind when I've read this story, when I've taught it, when I've preached it, when I've looked at it, when I've thought about it. It, There's one thing that I've never been able to answer. No one's ever been able to answer for me. It's an inconsequential question, but it's the one I can't get rid of. When did the change in Zacchaeus take place? Was it the minute that he saw Jesus? Was it when he obeyed his voice and came down out of the tree? Was it as they walked along towards Zacchaeus' home? Or was it when they sat together in his home maybe and and talked about spiritual matters or, or maybe discussed how it was that Zacchaeus' life had gotten so far off track and so far out in the woods? I don't know when it happened. I just know this one thing. It happened. It happened. Zacchaeus became a new man. He became somebody different than he had been his whole life. 
See, that's what happens when you meet Jesus. I, I don't know exactly when or how or what. I just know it happened. You can call it whatever you will. We've got a, a whole glossary of terms. We talk about conversion, salvation, regeneration, being saved, being born again. It, but I just want to tell you, whatever you call it, it is a radical change of life. Salvation is more than getting religion. It's more than determining, I'm going to live better, I'm going to be kinder, I'm going to do some right things. It's more than saying, I'm going to go a new direction, or I'm going to turn over a new leaf. It's more than saying, I'm going to start getting out of bed on Sunday morning and going to church and, and hanging out with, with church people. When people are truly converted, when they are truly born again, when they truly are saved, regenerated, whichever word you choose to use, change takes place in every area of their lives. The Word of God says the old things are passed away and they become a new creation. All things become new. What's that mean? It means the things they used to hate, they love. The things that they used to love, they hate. Values change. Priorities change. The way we see things is altered drastically. The reason we have for living, the things we pursue thinking they're going to give us happiness, they change. And something had happened inside of Zacchaeus. Something that was revealed by his testimony. You got your Bible? Look at it again. Look at these verses. Start at verse 8. Zacchaeus stopped. And he said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. Now let's just stop right there. And let me just tell you that in the Jewish culture, benevolence was considered the highest of virtues. For those who had to care for those who did not have and to try to take care of, to offer assistance to the underprivileged, to the have-nots, to the cast-outs, the cast-offs. That was a sign of godliness in the minds of Jewish people. And here's Zacchaeus saying, you know what? I'll take half of everything I own. I'll take half my possession, my savings account, my portfolio, my properties, everything I got. It doesn't matter what it is. Half of it, I'm going to give it to the poor. Well, even the people that hated him couldn't say anything bad about that. You'd think, okay, man, man's, man's changed. Oh, but he wasn't done yet. He's not done yet, folks. See, he goes on and he says this. And if. Did you get that if? Make sure you get that if. He didn't say because. He said and if. See, he's got people working for him. He's not even sure exactly who's getting ripped off and who's not. He said, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. Now remember, he's living with a bunch of Jewish folks. They know the law. Most of us don't. Here's what the law of Moses requires according to Exodus chapter 22. 
that if you have stolen something from someone and you were caught in the act or you were caught in possession of it, you're required to pay it back and double it. If I stole $50 from Theo, according to Exodus 22, I owe Theo $100. This is the law of restitution. Now, there are different levels of restitution that require different amounts based upon what the goods or properties might be. But by and large, it's a two-for-one recompense. Look at what Zacchaeus said. I will give back four times as much. I'm not just going to do what the law says. I'm going to double what the law says. If the law says I'm going to give you back two times, I'm going to give you four. I don't want anybody to question whether I was honest. I don't want anybody to question whether or not I followed the law, whether I obeyed God. I don't want anyone to question my integrity. I am going to make absolutely certain and sure that whatever it is, is somebody. Listen, I've read this thing over and over and over, and I understand that there's probably some conversation and background going on here that we know nothing of. But there is nothing here that indicates that Jesus told him, Zacchaeus, you got to do it. If you don't do this, it's not real. It says that Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord. It doesn't say the Lord told him you got to do it. Zacchaeus stopped and told the Lord, here's what I'm going to do. You know, I've wondered, did maybe somewhere along the way Zacchaeus begin to understand something that some folks I know have had to grow to understand? And that is, if you're not careful, money, possessions, property, stuff, that can become your God. You can, you can worship that and pursue that and long for that. To the point that it takes over your heart. It takes over your life. But if you remember what God told his people. He was very clear. You shall love the Lord your God. With all your heart. With all your soul. With all your might. Zacchaeus said you know the thing that's become my God. I'm going to strip it away. I'm going to diminish it. I've, I've often wondered, there's no way to know, and I guess it's not our business to know, but I've, I've wondered, how much of a dent did this make in the man's worth? How much of his personal wealth disappeared in that one afternoon? What, what went away? Can I tell you something? It doesn't matter. Because what he gained far exceeded anything and everything that he gave away or could have given away. Say, so, well, how do you know that? Because I've read the book. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses his own soul? Zacchaeus didn't have the whole world. He just had his little part. But look at what Jesus said about him at the end of this chapter. Today. Today. Not next week. 
contingent upon whether or not he carries through with the vows he has made. No. Today, salvation has come to this house. Today, this man has been changed. Today, his heart has become my possession. Today, he's become a new creation. Today, salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. And then you get the synopsis of the entire ministry of my Lord Jesus Christ. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. If you want to know what Jesus is about, it's not about taking your money away. It's not about giving you a bunch of rules to follow, things that you can and things that you can't. It's not about telling you you got to live this way or you got to live that way or you got to drive this or you got to drive that or you got to be this person, you got to be. No. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. You want to know what he's about? Don't take my word for it. Read his own words. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Zacchaeus was hidden away up in a tree, Jesus sought him out. He stopped and looked up and called him by name and said, come down. I got a plan. I got a purpose for you. Zacchaeus was changed that day. Today, salvation has come. I was reading an article not long ago. Obviously not a Christian writer. The question that the entire article was based upon was this simple question. Can a human life be changed? Twenty minutes it took me to read that article. When I finished, I closed it on my computer and I thought to myself, this this was I'm serious, this was my thought. I'll never get that twenty minutes back. I didn't need to read the article. Don't get me wrong, I think it's awesome that people are thinking. I think it's awesome that people are digging. I think it's awesome that people are trying to find answers. I think it is tragic that people are so ignorant when the answer is right there in front of them, is presented to them in plain English, they reject it and refuse it because it does not fit within their framework of thought. Can a human life be changed? Absolutely. The world may say no, but Jesus says differently. He is seeking after those who are lost and he is doing it so that he can save them. Through the Holy Spirit of God, he encourages and directs friends to witness to their lost friends. He directs people to carry out and leave tracks, whether they're in restaurants or places of business and waiting rooms. He directs people to invite others to come to church and hear about Jesus. He directs people to make personal visits and share their testimonies of faith. I could keep going, but all of these things and and more are how Jesus is seeking the lost today. And it's true, he's still at work. He's still saving people today. I'm going to tell you what I told you at the beginning. No one's too sinful. No one's gone too far. No one's done too much. 
It doesn't matter how guilty you feel. It doesn't matter how many secrets you're hiding. It doesn't matter how much. I just want you to know something. He already knows where you're at, and he knows everything you're hiding. And still, he loves you. Still, he's seeking you. Still, he's willing to save you. But be ready. It's going to change you. You are going to be transformed. So what do I got to do, preacher? Go climb a tree? Nope. Much simpler than that. You don't have to skin up your arms or worry about falling. What you do have to do is cry out to Jesus and confess to him that you're a sinner. By the way, that doesn't make you any worse than anybody else. In fact, it makes you just like me. I'm a sinner. But you're going to have to own it. The things you've done wrong, the actions, the words, the thoughts, you've got to own it. Just the same as I have to own it. You've got to own it. Confess it to him. Admit it. Own it. Ask his forgiveness. Come to him in faith, believing he is the Son of God. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. He is the Savior. He is the Redeemer. He is the only one who can take your sin and wash it away and make it like it never was and make you a new creation. And today, today, he'll do it. Will you call on him? Would you let him take control of your life? Would you let him make you a new creation today? Get down out of the tree. Get down out of the tree and meet the man who can make you into something new this morning. Let's bow our heads together. In just a moment, we're going to stand together and sing a song of of invitation. I know a lot of people say, why do you give an invitation? Because I want to give you an opportunity to respond to the Word of God and to the voice of God. It may be that this morning you came to this place thinking, I've got it all under control. I'm going to church. I'm a good guy. I'm a good gal. I'm going to go hang out with some good people. But somewhere along the way, Jesus called your name this morning. And he's telling you, get out of the tree. I need, I need to meet you. I need to know you. I need to spend time with you. Today you can meet him. Would you do it? it, it listen, it's not, about, it's not about this church. It's not about me as a preacher. It's not about anything except you and Jesus this morning. And maybe his word has spoken to you. Maybe his spirit is calling you and you're saying, I need that relationship. I want that relationship. I'm going to come down out of the tree and I'm going to meet him. I'm going to let him do whatever he wants to in my life. I invite you. Come on. He said, but I'm not sure what to do. I'm not sure what that means. Listen, that's why I'm here. I will never embarrass you or put you on the spot. But if you want someone to share with you from the word of God how you can become a new creation today, if you want someone to just pray with you, I'd be happy to do that. When we stand and sing, come take me by the hand. Let's take care of this. Let's take care of it. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we have people all around us who are up a tree without hope. We ought to be helping them down and inviting them to meet the Jesus that we know and who knows us. Don't you think it's time?
You want to be part of a crowd of people who are going to do that? That's what this church is. It's a crowd of people who are committed to the purpose of helping others find Jesus. If God's led you here, if this is the place you're supposed to be, you know that. I want to invite you to come be a part of this church family. We're not perfect. We're not perfect. And I'm, I'm the most imperfect among us. But folks, I'm telling you, we've got our eyes on Jesus. And we're going to pursue him. We're going to chase him with all we've got. What's he saying to you today? What do you need to do? I'm just asking you, hear his voice. Be obedient. Father, I thank you this morning for your word. Lord, I thank you that every time I read this story, I'm reminded you didn't just love Zacchaeus, you loved me. You didn't just change him, you changed me. And you're still in the business of changing people. So, Father, I pray for us this morning. Everyone in this room, Lord, there's some in this room that need a relationship with you. You know who they are. You see their empty hearts. You're calling them. I pray now, open their ears to hear. Break their hearts so they'd be willing, responsive. Father, there's some of my brothers and sisters in this room who've wandered away. They've, they've gotten out of the relationship. It's not what it used to be. It's not what they want it to be or know it ought to be. I pray today, call them back. Call them back. Father, there's some in this room who are sheep without a shepherd. They're just kind of wandering around. They don't belong anywhere. They need a, they need a home. They need accountability. They need a, a family of faith. You brought them here, but only you can show them if they belong. Father, I pray do that. Lord, I go on and on and on. There's so many different needs, so many different struggles that we're all facing. I don't have to. You already know them all. You're already speaking to hearts all across this room. And so I, I just pray, Father, that whatever you want to do, do it. Do it. And help us to be obedient and surrender to your call so that whatever happens, you'd get all the glory, all the praise, and all the honor for it. But we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.